0: materials are of greater concern than ever.
1: Of course, we constantly do reinvent materials uh, and uh, change is happening. It is a material revolution or re-evolution. It's really incredible. So
2: it's endless. It's this endless field that has become rather addicting.
3: Hey Mercedes, how much longer till we're at the restaurant? Thank you for driving me here, by the way. I'm super excited to visit this place because I heard the seaweed spaghetti is delicious and there's a mushroom bacon situation. It's supposed to be awesome. I can't wait. Ricardia, we are already in Myco City and should be at the restaurant in no time. We have five blocks to go. There is no traffic ahead and I've already located a parking spot. Taking all that into consideration, we have two minutes and 30 seconds to go. Our very possible arrival time is 8.41 p.m. Uh, great. Thanks for that very precise information. Hey, don't you love driving through this new part of town? Remember just a couple of years ago, there was like nothing here. Now you've got all these streets made from a new type of recycled asphalt and all these residual buildings made from mushrooms growing and repairing themselves. They look like something even Gaudi would admire. I gotta say though, when the architects first introduced the idea of Myco City, I thought they sounded a little crazy. Build an entire district with low impact, recycled, and biofabricated materials only? That sounded too good to be true, even for the 2050s. But hey, here we are. They made it happen. Well, I do have a soft spot for bio based materials. After all, car interiors have been coated with plant-based leather alternatives for more than 30 years now, and I am quite fond of my biodegradable components, too. So, to answer your initial question, yes, I do enjoy driving here. Anyways, it is always lovely to chat with you, but we're here. Enjoy your meal. I'll be off to my parking spot. All right, old friend, happy recharge. wait, what? What was that all about? Why did we just travel through Myco City? In case you were wondering, I didn't just make all that up. Okay, maybe I did. But this was a scenario that we might live to see people. We are probably not far from it becoming a reality. Right now, humans from all over the world are working on using materials such as fungi for the purpose of growing products, like clothes, or even buildings. Hi, I am Ricardia Bramley, and this is Future Dimensions, a podcast by Mercedes-Benz. In every episode, we'll explore visions of a more beautiful tomorrow, because shaping the future always starts with a vision. Ready to ride? For today's episode, we're looking at our material world. No, not the 1980s song, but I bet I made you sing it. Anyway, we're looking at the very materials surrounding us, because the field is changing as we speak, and fungal architecture is one part of a bigger picture. Already today, there are plates made from pineapple scraps and clothes grown from green tea. There's shoes designed from cactus leather or spun out of man-made spider silk. And the people pushing these material innovations, they're increasingly looking to nature for inspiration. Sounds kind of retro, right? I mean, can we really build houses from mushrooms one day? And does that mean that we will get rid of materials like plastic and concrete once and for all? Let's find out. Before putting on our visionary goggles, we have to answer one important question. Why does material matter? And why are people around the world so committed to finding new ones? Let's hear from someone who is very invested in that matter. Grab a cup of tea, folks, we're headed to England, to an office in a beautiful house in Somerset, to be precise. That's where Caroline Till works from. She's a trained textile designer, a university lecturer, and the co-founder of Franklin Till, an agency that... Wait, let's hear Caroline. She explains this stuff so much better than I can.
0: So, um, Franklin Till, we are a global futures research company, and we support major brands and organizations to help them use design and particularly material innovation to shift towards a more sustainable future. So materials is at the heart of what we do, and I guess we've always been you know very interested in the tactile side of materials that you know really being able to um, have a sort of emotional relationship with something through the importance of tactility and texture.
3: Interesting and true. Think about it for a second. Our sense of touch is so important, and materials give objects that distinctive look, feel, and even smell. They speak to our senses, they evoke emotions, and sometimes even memories. Remember the feel of running your fingers across your parents' linoleum kitchen table, maybe? Or that scratchy woolen sweater you just hated as a kid? I bet you do. And even if you don't, just try and think about what tapping your phone screen feels like. See what happened there? Materials make up an object's texture. Same goes for an object's function. Is it water-repellent or permeable? Is it ephemeral or long-lasting? Does it bend or break under pressure? All that depends on the materials used. According to Caroline, though, materials have taken to the spotlight for another reason recently. If we can think more carefully and understand more where
0: things are coming from, how they're made and where they can go at end of life or how they can be kept in closed loops, the sustainable impact is huge. So I think for all those reasons, materials are of greater
3: concern than ever. Designers and architects, biologists and engineers, they all think about material life cycles these days and about one question in particular. Can new materials help us go from take it and toss it to a more circular, or even regenerative system. Can we reduce our environmental impact by using different materials? In doing so, these, I want to call them pioneers, examine materials very closely. That can sometimes lead to the most amazing things. I see students
0: making their own materials more than ever, you know, even in their kitchens and sort of making ad hoc kind of material laboratories.
3: There is one group of materials those students are working with a lot and where Caroline sees major potential – biologically fabricated material. If you just heard that term for the first time, no worries,
0: she can explain. Biological fabrication, so that is working with microbes, intervening in the laboratory setting to physically grow materials as opposed to industrially produce them. So bacterial dyes, for example, that can color textiles that use minimal water and um, seaweed um, fabric innovations made of living natural materials so they can be decomposed
3: without harm. OK, feels like Back to the Future has officially become Back to Nature. So material innovation is taking place right now inside student kitchens and at industrial scale. But what's the ultimate goal? Will new materials eventually take over, even replacing plastic, etc.? I asked Maurizio Montalti about that. He is a designer, a researcher, an educator, and an entrepreneur. His work is all about finding new ways to work with natural materials. His studio is based in Amsterdam, and get ready for this. It is called...
1: Officina Corpuscoli.
3: Okay, I tried saying that, but it sounds much better when Maurizio says it. Anyway, I wanted to know from him... Do we need new materials to help us get rid of plastic?
1: Contemporary material culture is very much informed by the developments that happened along the 20th century as an effect of the industrial revolution that took place much earlier and that brought uh, to course, the creation of industry, standardization, scale, and eventually the, the discovery uh, that uh, chemistry, it was possible uh, to utilize uh, uh, resources that were produced uh, uh, during millions of years, uh, extract them and transform them into stable products. Uh, I'm here talking about plastics, synthetics, All materials that result from extractive uh, practices uh, where limited resources are consumed and depleted.
3: And those materials, as we well know today, are not exactly great for the ecosystem. Plus, they're not infinitely available. But the materials themselves are not at the heart of the problem, according to Maurizio.
1: What happened is that the introduction of such incredible materials, synthetics, plastics, which I do not wish to demonize, they are absolutely incredible. They are fantastic materials. They are the materials of modernity. They are what allowed us to live in the way we live today. The problem is not the materials. The problem is us. The problem is the way in which we use them. Think about Giulio who developed the first plastics in Italy, Uh, It didn't do it for for creating doomsday, Uh, it did it for the goods. So the point is not about plastic or no plastic, it's about where does that plastic eventually ends and how can it be fully reintegrated and possibly fully recycled, if not better upcycled in uh, yet another product.
3: Okay, got it. Plastic has great qualities. Just think about its many use cases in hospitals, for instance. But we don't want it to end up in the ocean or in our drinking water, as is already happening. And that's why we need to come up with alternatives. That's why we need material innovation.
1: Innovation is going to keep taking place, improving day by day already as we speak. So I do expect great advancements in the years to come. It is a material revolution or re-evolution, perhaps.
3: Doesn't sound like an easy job, if you ask me. And Maurizio agrees.
1: It's not an easy job, it's a very complicated job, but uh, both the enthusiasm, the fascination and the need uh, drive uh, this ongoing revolution, I would say. Certainly one main ingredient is ingenuity, Uh, the fact of uh, just uh, being able to be creative, uh, something that we believe we are the only species capable of and that I'm quite sceptical about.
3: Ooh, I like the sound of that, but back to the materials. There is one in particular that allows for a lot of creativity. Most of Maurizio's work is based on it, and he has even founded an industrial venture called Mogu, selling acoustic panels made from just that stuff. But before I tell you what it is, I want to tell you what it smells like. Close your eyes, take a deep breath, and think about the way a forest smells after a rainy day. That is also, by the way, what Maurizio's studio smells like.
1: Of course, the smell is also quite an interesting component. Personally, I consider it a very pleasant smell.
3: Many people think that the after-the-rain scent comes from the soil. Are you ready to find out what it actually is? Fungi. That's right. Fungi all over the place and inside the ground. Time to explore the properties of this very peculiar material. After all, a lot of people place a lot of hope on it. Although mushrooms tend to be a bit moody, and they don't always cooperate, but more on that later. Now, we did talk about houses being grown from mushrooms in the beginning. Could that really be a thing in the future? Off to Charlotte, North Carolina, into a workshop slash lab that is quite, well, something... Meet Jonathan Desi-Olive, an assistant professor at the Department of Architecture at the University of North Carolina. Given that I never went to architecture school, I asked him what his workplace sounded like.
2: My office is, is quiet. It's small and monastic. <laughs> um, but immediately adjacent to it, um, I have this big open gallery space and... Right now, um, actually, all of our second year um, architecture students are building full-scale mock-ups. So it's actually super, super busy out there. And then across the hall is the wood shop. So the co- it's a combination of sort of laughs and, and sort of problem-solving and people kind of chattering along with some, you know, some saws and other kind of loud grinding uh, sounds. So it's, uh, there's a little bit of everything. It's a, it's a good cacophony, though.
3: It really does sound like he has the coolest workplace, I have to say. When he's not in the gallery space, Jonathan spends a lot of time 40 meters down the hall at his Michael Matters lab. His lab elevates the matter of biologically fabricated materials to another dimension, quite literally.
2: So, my lab is, yeah, somewhere in between like a, a not very rigorously run biology lab a bit of a fabrication lab, and kind of like also in an industrial kitchen. (laughs) So my equipment looks like uh, sort of like autoclave, sterilizers, big refrigerators, dehydrating ovens, and then just a lot of sort of workspace and counter space. Um, And so it's a very unique hybrid.
3: Jonathan is a trained architect, but he's majorly into unconventional building materials.
2: Mushroom materials, which is what I've been playing with for around the last five years, um, have a whole different personality, literally. They're temperamental, they grow, they don't grow, they get contaminated, um, they're a bit unpredictable, and there's so little known about them that I think I've really just become hooked um, on, on based on that. It's been a really uh, engaging uh, relationship with a material in a way that I've never had before, and mainly because it's alive.
3: Hold on here for a second. Mushrooms are soft, gooey, and they're a little bit slimy, aren't they? They're living things and we're seriously considering building houses with them? How is that going to happen? And like, what part of the mushroom are we going to use?
2: Mycelium or or mycelia. um, So these are the the root-like structures of a fungus. There is this intermingled, entangled web of this chitinous material. So chitin is the same material that is in like... Um, exoskeletons of crabs and things like that. So it's very, very strong material, um, very abundant material. Now, in the last 10, 12, 15 maybe years at most, people have realized that essentially these webby tubes um, can be used as a binding polymer for um, uh, agricultural wastes. So things like corn husks, sawdust, and different mushrooms like to eat different things. So when you grow mushrooms, you get this sort of byproduct, which is this biomass of these glued together fibers. Um, And so people have started to say, hey, maybe this mycelium stuff can be used as a naturally occurring, naturally self-producing, essentially, um, binding glue to make products that are resembling foam um, and and can replace all sorts of of products that we can think of that are are using fossil fuel-based foam.
3: Alright, so mycelium works like a super glue that can hold together agricultural waste. Jonathan told me that when it's dried up, mycelium is super strong. That's why a lot of companies have started to use it for packaging material, furniture, insulating panels, or even building bricks. If used on its own, mycelium can turn into leather-like textiles, beauty products, acoustic panels, and yes, even fungal bacon. What I also learned, mycelium can be produced locally using local organic waste and it grows quickly, which makes it easy to produce large amounts of it. Because it can be grown on waste, it doesn't take the soil from agricultural needs. It has a very low environmental and carbon footprint. And it is biodegradable. No wonder mycelium-based products have been popping up everywhere, like mushrooms. Sorry, bad pun, but let's get back to Jonathan. What's his approach?
2: I approach mycelium materials as an architect, as a designer, as a builder.
3: Specifically, Jonathan is investigating how mushroom materials can play a part in making buildings more sustainable. That interest comes from a tiny little observation he made.
2: Buildings aren't getting used in the same way that they used to.
3: While buildings used to be built to last forever, Jonathan says that's changing because of the way our lives are changing. He found research papers suggesting the average lifespan of a building in China was around 34 years. In Japan, residential buildings were deconstructed on average after 25 years. Also, many of the sports stadiums from the 70s, 80s or 90s became obsolete and were demolished.
2: And yet... Um, there's you know, millions and millions of dollars or euros that are going <laughs> into building these things, and not to mention just energy-rich materials, materials that are intended to make buildings which are permanent, and yet the buildings are impermanent. So at the moment that you realize that the lifespan of buildings is shortening, and that we're kind of treating buildings like paper cups, they're essentially disposable, then it's worthwhile to think about what kinds of Low-energy materials or even compostable materials could actually start to integrate themselves into buildings so that we're not left with a bunch of materials that we can't recycle, we can't reclaim, and, um, and essentially are just waste.
3: Simply put, Jonathan explores how the use of fungi could contribute to a more lightweight and circular building practice, or how in the future fungi could even replace certain conventional building materials, such as cement— However, he was very keen on highlighting that mycelium composites are not the silver bullet to all the building industry's problems.
2: These mycomaterials, they're not here to solve all of the issues, right? If we need a permanent building like the Pantheon, I'm not advocating for, for something like this. If we're building a monument, we should absolutely use permanent materials. But there's another type of building now. In, in our day and age, and they are temporary. And so I think it is relevant to explore how non-permanent materials can start to accomplish similar goals as our permanent materials.
3: So what about future me? Will I get to live in a mushroom house soon?
2: I think really soon you're going to start to see more and more products that are using this material in your life. Now, is the building going to be made out of mushrooms? It depends on the building. Some buildings could be. Uh, I think those buildings are going to be those which are understood to be temporary. There's, there's a bit of way to go. Um, they are not a perfect material on their own. Uh, micro-materials can be strong, but they're not wonderful around water. They're not going to work very well in bending. They're not going to work as a beam. They could work as a column. There are a lot of codes and, um, you know, there, there are laws, <laughs> essentially, that that dictate how we build. First, we have to prove that it's possible, and that's kind of what me and, and my researchers, uh, my research assistants, um, and, and those, those students who are involved in the lab, that's what really what we're trying to do, is show that you can, that yes, we can do this thing.
3: So maybe we are a couple of years away from living in mushroom houses, but mycelium in brick form is already in use, in art installations, for example. And Caroline, too, has seen mycelium bricks in action. We had the pleasure of working with Buildex, a
0: architectural studio based in Kenya, and they were kind of really responding to, they have huge housing deficit in Kenya, they have a greatly increasing population um, and a really high demand for high quality, low cost housing. Um, so they were combining mycelium with uh, cross laminated timber, so basically making very high quality timber frame housing that was insulated with mycelium with mushroom tiles and um, built up with um, compressed, stabilised earth blocks. Um, So, yeah, that feels an example of how architects are taking a a very materials-first approach and um, having some, you know, really pragmatic responses to to very real-world problems.
3: Maurizio is also very optimistic about the prospect of living in a fungal house one day. And that day will come sooner rather than later. Yay!
1: I have no doubt whatsoever. Absolutely, yes. It's partly possible already today. Uh, This is something uh, that uh, personally and together with my teams uh, at the company and with other collaborators I've been working on, actually. We are um, developing monolithic structures uh, Uh, that are meant to be the base for the growth of a monolithic architecture. So no bricks, but just full mass uh, of living, living, not once living, living mycelium material, uh, which not only is able to create uh, structural elements, structural, uh, again, architectures, uh, but also because it is living, is capable of evolving, is capable of self-repairing, self-healing, In the moment in which a crack appears, the mycelium can heal itself.
3: I couldn't help but wonder, what would a construction site like this sound like? I'm also trying to imagine what it might smell like. Okay, anyway, from what I've learned today, products like mycelium are not the answer to everything. But they are part of the answer to how we can live in greater harmony with nature. Materials have probably been invented and reinvented since the beginning of time. We've learned about some of the more recent innovations and applications, but before we come to an end, I just have to share one last thing with you, my fellow futurists. When I talked to Caroline, Maurizio, and Jonathan about experimenting with new materials, all of them mentioned one thing, that in order for innovation to happen, we need to let go and be open-minded sound a little too esoteric for you, hang in there.
2: So mycelium and, and some of these other more experimental materials that I've used over the years have just been initially just explorations. It's super experimental and, and it's open-ended, um, which has actually made the last decade or so very, very enjoyable. Um, because there isn't an answer that I'm looking for specifically. It's really just um, trying to, to develop new knowledge through experience.
0: You can have this series of happy accidents and through that kind of research through making approach, you can start to think, OK, what's, what could I do with this? What's the most relevant application? How, you know, where, where could this be applied? And yeah, it's that kind of iterative and experimental approach that we are often looking at within the projects that we're doing at Franklin Till.
1: Biology has agency. So even if we presumptuously assume that we are able to be in control, there's always uh, the collaboration I'm talking about taking place as the organism is living and the organism is in control. And in fact, it's a collaboration with other forms of life to unravel what really could uh, derive from that, but also, therefore, to let go of our obsession with being in control. And fungi are the masters of regeneration. They are the master of transformation and uh, That means if we only want to see something really um, different happening, we perhaps need to start behaving a little less like a human and a little bit more like a fungus.
3: Letting go of control a little to allow beautiful things to unfold? That's quite a metaphor for the future, if you ask me. We can have plans, protocols and strategies to influence the future, but there's always a little bit of wiggle room left a small space for chance to happen that I personally find incredibly exciting. So today we took a deep look into the fascinating world of new materials. We talked about the power of material choices, learned about our human drive to innovate, and found out that materials themselves aren't inherently bad, but we do need to reflect more on how we use them. What all this means is we can do better. We just have to keep on being open-minded towards new solutions, keep on being creative, and keep on being curious. This was Future Dimensions, a podcast brought to you by Mercedes-Benz. In our next episode, we will explore the realms of science fiction, see how it inspires and shapes our everyday reality, and answer what came first, space stories from the 1990s or the smartphone. That's it from me, your host, Ricardia Bramley. Please don't forget to subscribe, comment, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, stay tuned and stay curious.